This episode of Moon Tower Business is brought to you by your local State Farm agent, Alejandra de la Torre. Alejandra's team has amazing customer service, knowledgeable staff, and super competitive pricing. They also have a very convenient location in Round Rock, located at 2200 North A.W. Grimes Boulevard, Suite 500. Alejandra's team is bilingual, and they have over 52 years of combined experience in the insurance industry. Alejandra's team is very friendly and helpful, and they always go the extra mile. They even have after-hours emergency availability. So please call Alejandra's State Farm team for all of your insurance needs, whether it's auto, home, life, or business. Their telephone number is 512-244-3311, or you can see their website at www.alexdelatorre.net. Welcome back, everybody, to the Moon Tower Business Podcast. This is your host, Joseph O'Bell. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Ken Sutton, who is the co-founder and CEO of Yobi. Ken, welcome to the program. Joe, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Ken, maybe we can just get started by you kind of introducing yourself a little bit to uh, listeners and talk a little bit about uh, kind of your career path leading up to Yobi. Yeah. Uh, so Ken Sutton, uh, co-founder and CEO of Yobi Inc. Um, you know, my journey from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's, it's probably not traditional for someone in tech. You know, my background was, wow, it depends on which iteration of my life I want to discuss. Uh, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to serve our country in the military um, and, and then did the college uh, thing after I served. Uh, I was an enlisted man in the military. Uh, got outside a marketing firm, built the marketing firm from one office in Bloomfield, Connecticut. I think by the time we sold it, we had uh, 12 offices in nine states. Um, so that in 2001, uh, 2000, the end of 2001, the beginning of 2002, um, took some time off. I was in Florida at the time, not a bad time to take time off. Um, and then uh, got back into the market, but got into real estate capital markets, right? And during the time that, uh, you know, capital markets on the bus and, and uh, rode the wave, uh, in the investment banking, you know, I guess, debt capital market space until 2009, when the world shifted slightly, an <laughs> um, understatement, um, and took my pennies, uh, started doing a lot of consulting work. Uh, I kind of knew all the dead bodies were buried from a capital market standpoint. So I did some off-market transactions and made a, a living at that. And then fell into tech, uh, doing some consulting work on renewable energy project finance type deals from a debt standpoint. Um, and always been attracted to technology. Um, I, you know, I probably should have been an engineer, but uh, I'm old enough to remember the movie Wall Street. So I kind of went that direction instead. So um, as I had more freedom, I'm running my own firm and I started getting involved in renewable energy technologies and then core technology. Along the way, a buddy of mine and I started working on a project he was uh, really passionate about uh, around his autistic son. Uh, and it came the problem that he was trying to address was uh, his son had a difficulty listening to music inside of closed environments like a car. Um, it, it was something about the acoustics in the car, the reverberation and the echoes of sound inside the cabin of a car was uncomfortable for Collins, that's his son, to, to deal with. And so 
my buddy is the chief audio engineer at a, I can't say them on air, but a very large media company. And he just thought that, you know, his son should be able to listen to music um, inside of a car and started going into the studio and reading up on sound therapy and things of that nature and figured out that it was really just the frequencies. It was the way that his son was responding to frequencies. And so started manipulating and bending those frequencies in very unique ways. Um, and he fell across, across a process of bending those frequencies that his son responded to. But when we listened to it, meaning he and I, what we heard was something different. It was 3D audio. It's the only way they can explain it. It was like watching HDTV versus it was just something stellar. It was, it was spatial. It was holistic around sound. And so, you know, out of the friendship, I'm the, the quote unquote business person. And so, you know, James like, Ken, can, you know, can we, can we build something on this? What do you think? And at the time, you know, there was a trillion MP3s being sold every day. Uh, one of the, you know, the, the crappiest file systems for music on the planet, but nobody cared. So I said, yeah, James, we're passionate about it because we're music guys, but I don't know if there's a market here, uh, but let's, you know, let's explore it. Stop sending me wave files to review. Why don't we prepare it for compression? And something happened when we compressed it that was counterintuitive. It sounded better post-compression than pre-compression, which really makes no sense, you know, technically. How does less data sound better uh, from a fidelity standpoint? And what we stumbled across was a way to manipulate the frequencies that stacked better through compression algorithms, right? So we were able to retain this 3D sound, we were able to retain the robustness, and we were able to compress three times as much as your traditional MP3, right? So now I'm excited. There's a business case here to be made about retaining fidelity, decreasing packet sizes. So I reached out to my network and I had relationships at Tidal and some at Spotify and Pandora, the usual suspects from a streaming standpoint, even had some people over at um, Skype at the time when Skype was really big. Um, thought we could do something in the voice space as well. Um, but we started off in music. That's where Yobi, the company that we were currently working with, started. Um, and quickly found out that the music industry had bigger fish to fry, right? They were more concerned with how do I pay my licensing fees <laughs> where we can worry about fidelity another day. Um, and so there was nothing there. But this, this you know, the Skype conversation was interesting, Um so we really started digging into, to, okay, can we do this in voice transmission? And, you know, we started dealing with, okay, what's voice over IP market? What's that look like? We started looking at some active opportunities in the voice over IP market for cell phones, which now you're talking about going into the real world, right? It's not a sterile environment like an office. And so there's noise and there's background interference. And when we were looking at going into this space, we knew there was going to be a lot of R&D from our science around trying to figure out how to apply it towards voice. Um, along the way, you know, even back in our music days, we brought in our co- my co-founder, which is Dr. Hamid Nawab, who's a world-renowned scientist in the signal processing AI space, to really help automate a lot of our processes. Because a lot of what we were doing in the early years was just us knowing what the content was and using our knowledge of the content to manipulate you know, the frequencies. Um, with the AI component, now we had intelligence. We had something that understood the universe that we were looking at and could look at the audio scene frame by frame to make a decision on how best to process that audio based on whatever the offer was. 
So what we discovered in the music space, which what we thought was an enhancement solution, uh, what it really was, was a frequency repair solution, which allowed us to bring new science to the table and, and more aggressive signal processing science to the table, but allowed us not to damage the underlying signal of interest. So as we tracked what we were doing in voice, I was paying attention to what Amazon was doing with the Alexa devices. And, you know, they were selling uh, voice devices, you know, in, in exponential numbers. Our thesis, you know, this was maybe three and a half, four years ago when we made the pivot. Uh, our thesis was that voice was going to become an interface that, you know, was going to be to drive the future of connectivity to a certain degree and that the genie was out the bottle. So like most entrepreneurs, we shifted all of our gears into the voice space and kind of almost had to restart the R&D engine, right? It's a totally different space. But what we found, the core solution that we had for enhancement, uh, along with the robust AI platform that we had that now had that understood acoustic environments, when you paired those together um, and that underlying IP that we had from the broadcast studio methodology, it created a unique symbiosis for dealing with something called the cocktail party problem, which is something that, believe it or not, actually the technical and scientific term is the cocktail party problem. I don't think people go to cocktail parties anymore, but you get the gist where it's loud, people are talking, there's music, there's clanking. Our ability as humans to pay attention to someone speaking is unique to the human auditory system, right? It's our way of tracking and, and extracting voice from noisy situations using cognizance. Right. This is something that signal processing has had a problem with. It's the reason why your Siri device doesn't work in loud environments or in the car or your Alexa device or Google device has a problem understanding what you're saying when other people are talking. Um, it's, it's a fundamental bottleneck for a lot of technologies and voice. Um, we found an interesting way to use AI to deal with that issue and basically duplicate um, to a certain degree in, 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 in a software type program, what we do as humans with the human voice um, and auditory system. An interesting byproduct of the ability to do that is our ability to extract the metadata captured in voice as well. So it's one thing to hear something and understand what's being said. It's another thing to pull out all of the data that we extract as humans. So I'll give you a, a quick analogy. Um, if we take the same cocktail party as a reference and you're having a conversation with a colleague and there's noisy environments and you can focus on what that person is saying in that same exact venue, if somebody walked in and they screamed the word fire, what have you done from a human auditory standpoint, just with that one word fire? Well, the first thing you did, you were able to hear the word fire over the other noise. That's the first thing. Secondly, you know exactly where that voice came from. It's to my right shoulder, roughly 200 meters back. You don't have to turn around. You know the direction where that voice came from. You know if it was a man or a woman. You know if it was a child or an adult. But more importantly, you know if they were serious or they were joking. And if it was somebody you knew, you would say, and that was Tom. All of that happened with one utterance of one word. Our company has really doubled down on the thesis that for your conversational AI platforms and for your speech to text platforms to really operate effectively, it needs that context. My Alexa device should know by the third time I'm asking you to do something that I'm pissed off. And you don't have to give me a better answer, but at least acknowledge that I'm pissed off. 
<laughs> right. say, and apologize for not getting my voice command correct. Right. And if you think about that with any other type of format where you're using conversational AI, you're advertising something to me where you want the context of the environment and what I'm saying, there's a huge swatch of the, the voice interface universe that hasn't really been effectively tapped into because that external data is not part of the equation. And that's what we're curating and we're passing off to our clients. Gotcha. So kind of stepping back a little bit and kind of the early days when you're when you're experimenting with music and uh, trying to find a way to uh, make sound of music in the vehicle for your friend's uh, child, uh, you know, enjoyable or, or tolerable. Uh, what kind of equipment were you were you working with at that time to like to experiment with the music? Um, and then did you kind of use some of the same equipment once you kind of pivoted or did you have to kind of change that up? Well, yeah. So the beginning phases is we were using equipment because we didn't have any artificial intelligence to do all the work for us, right? So the equipment was, you know, very expensive studios, right? Where we had all the mixing and sound equipment we wanted, had all the plugins and the the Pro Tools gadgets and the Waves gadgets and all the stuff that a broadcast studio person would be very familiar with to manipulate sound. Um, once we pivoted into voice, all of this was software. By that point, we had a software program that would do the same thing for us in music that we were doing in the studio. But it was more effective in software because in the studio, unfortunately, you're doing it almost like an EQ. You take a look at the entire content and you say, like, okay, it's Bon Jovi um, living on a prayer. I know the song. I know where the crescendo is. I know these things. So I can manipulate it. And I, I set a preset and it's supposed to work across the entire file. Speech is a little different. You don't know what's going to happen in the acoustic environment from one frame to the next. So what the AI allows us to do is look at each frame, you know, millisecond by millisecond, and make a decision on how best to manage that particular frame based on what we understand in an environment. So when you blend that over the course of a piece of content, because we're doing it real time, this is not a, a recorded methodology. This is a real time, you know, uh, low latency type of solution. The benefit of your solution across the entire content, the net is higher. It's better, right? So, you know, we haven't done anything from the studio since, you know, maybe, you know, after we incorporated, like we, we left the studio years ago once we had the AI, AI comportion because it just took our company to a new level. The tools that we need needed are some of your, you know, we're not, we didn't reinvent the signal processing universe, Right. So there's, there's going to be usual algorithms and, and usual science that's already out there. Our real value is that we're using intelligence to inform us on what to do, when to do it, how much to do it, and doing it in relationship to a very specific deliverable. We're not looking for the entire universe of possibilities. We're looking at where's the voice, what's the noise, and we're using voice biometrics. So we're using unique formants in your voice to track what's voice and what's not or to track what's your voice and what's somebody else's voice. So we already know that there's different voices in a scene and we know what's voice and what's not voice. And so, you know, there's no off the shelf technology that you could use that does that. This is kind of proprietary to the way that we look at the universe. Gotcha. And at what stage do you think that you decided kind of to make it a, a, an actual business? I mean, was this something that you wanted to commercialize from the beginning when you were working on experimenting with music or is it at, at the point where you started visiting with kind of potential customers or, or talking to folks about use cases that uh, you said, okay, now I'm going to turn it into a business. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, 
from an entrepreneur standpoint, we're always looking at making businesses, right? It just, it's part of your DNA. Uh, you know, there's no, at least it hasn't been my entrepreneurial experience in all the businesses that I've run and I started that I start thinking about just doing something just to do it. It's always, can I make a business out of it? Right. Um, because for me, that's the enjoyment. That's the fun part. Can we actually create something, one that's scalable, that can impact people's lives? And can I create some job revenue, a job creation from it? Right. And so that's the reason why James particularly came to me because he understood that my lens on it is always going to be, how can this be monetized and how can it grow into something um, that moves into something else? And so from the music start, when I first heard it, when I first heard the, the augmentation to the music, my first knee jerk, well, there's no business here. So I'm not interested. Right. Cause I didn't think there was any real market opportunity. Um, and then as the market opportunity shaped itself, okay, great. That makes sense. And then I benchmark the market. I don't drink my own Kool-Aid. I go out and I do my, you know, I'll use a Steve Blank analogy. I do my customer development, right? I go out there and do my, my lean startup, you know, blocking and tackling. And, you know, am I drinking my own juice or is, is this something there? And through that process, I got tons of traction on the music space. But what I found was, okay, it's one thing for people to get excited about it. It's something else for people to pay for it. Right. And so that's when I said, okay, there's another application for this. And I just started saying, well, people are paying for Alexas. They are. Uh, and it's sticky and it's clunky, but people are still adopting it. And, you know, I, yeah, first year I thought it was a fad. By year two, I'm like, okay, I think the voice interface market is, is, is something that's coming, coming to fruition. And, you know, I started looking at how user interfaces actually start to permeate the market. And so I just went back and tracked, well, what happened to the touchscreen and how did it actually permeate itself in the marketplace? And that was my thesis is that, yeah, you're never going to get away with the keyboard, get away with, you know, with not having a keyboard. But once you make ro voice robust enough to sit into everyday environments, how much of the interface market do you cannibalize, right? And is it a new interface? Does it create a lot more opportunities for revenue generation, a lot more opportunities for uh, data collection? from the people that use it. And what you find is there's an immense amount of uh, energy and effort being put towards voice, not just because it's a nice, sexy interface that's easy for consumers to use. No, it's because I can extract data from that. And then I can advertise and I can push things towards you with a little bit more knowledge of what and who you are. And so um, I guess to your beginning point, it, for me, it's always kind of been a journey towards figuring out where the business opportunity is. Um, because for me, that's, that's what I get excited about doing when I wake up every day is trying to figure out the next business strategy. Gotcha. I mean, this is, this is really exciting stuff. I mean, this is kind of stuff you'd, you, uh, you'd see in the movies that what the future looked like, right. That, and <laughs> uh, what we envisioned, right. But uh, can you talk about, I guess, some of the use cases that you see right now with the technology that you, the technology that you have, and then future use cases that you kind of see on the horizon? Yeah, I am. You know, I, I think we're all familiar with, you know, how to do speech to text or do a search with Google using voice or any other kind of platform, right. Using voice. Um, and for, you know, folks not in the voice space, that is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Companies who are investing in this space are not just trying to figure out how you can find the nearest CVS from where you're located, right? There's, there's a lot more involved in it. Um, just like Google has been able to monetize your search data with keystrokes, people are doing the same thing with voice. 
But there's a higher layer to that as well. So if you take companies that have created very robust recommendation engines, like like Spotify, you know, Spotify feels like a music company, but it's really a very well curated recommendation algorithm that knows what to tell you to listen to based on what you've listened to before. So what does that look like if I understand, well, what's the best advertising I should push to you? Let me not just do a blanket advertising because you're watching the eight o'clock show and I want to do a downy uh, commercial for you and you haven't washed clothes forever because somebody else does it for you. That's just, you know, that's a missed opportunity from an advertising standpoint. But if I can actually curate the advertising to the user, that's interesting. It gets more interesting when I'm trying to figure out how to create engagement. So there's a, a lot of work around the difference of a pop-up ad versus a speak or a text or excuse me, a talking ad where now the ad sounds almost like a a, a radio commercial where I say, yeah, you know, so-and-so-and-so is doing a promotion on this product. Would you like to hear more? What they found is, would you like to hear more? Your transition to the yes or sure is 17 times more sticky than if we gave you a pop-up and asked you to click through. Wow. The click through is intrusive, right? You pop up, you're dominating my screen. I have to take you off of the content you're looking at to something else. Right. We know how to ignore advertising. So you say, sure, because you know, if I'm not into it, I just don't have to listen to it. I can still keep watching what I'm watching or doing what I'm doing. Right. So when you couple that with voice interface, conversational AI platforms that can talk to you, analytics that know a lot about what you like and where you want to go and what you want to see. And then I can recommend advertising to you. Now we start seeing an interesting revenue generation tool. And to your point about the future, then you get to operating systems like the movie Her. You can't get there without some steps prior and some improvements to the technology. And the first thing is how human is the interface? Well, how much data do you have about me as a human? If you can't understand my emotional context, you can't hear me because I'm outside in a loud environment, some of the things that you need to have those to make it contextually sticky, then the user interface becomes clunky and it has failures and a lot of errors in situations where it shouldn't. We see this moving in a direction where, yeah, you know, the movie Her or Jarvis, uh, you know, running your house when you walk in, you know, is, is a reality that is right around the corner. Once you deal with some of the environmental issues and some of the metadata issues that you have to have, so these platforms can actually work a little bit more robustly. Gotcha. Can you talk about uh, generally, you don't have to give specific names or anything, but uh, some, of, some of your customers that you work with right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, we work with large streaming media companies that like to show you data uh, or push content to you. Um, we work with three-letter agencies in Washington that like to listen to you. Um, so those companies, uh, we deal with OEMs that have appliances and things that they want you to be able to speak to. We just um, started an engagement with, uh, I can't tell you that one, but we just started engaging with another company that manufactures air conditioners and their use case is really unique, right? They want you to be able to talk to your air conditioner from anywhere in your home or in that area and have the vents point in the direction that you're speaking to it from. So it's not just understand what you're saying over the air noise and events. 
is also where are you talking to me from? Something that we as a human do automatically. They're asking us for the metadata. Um, we're dealing with a lot of companies who are in cars, right? And they're in the cabin of a car where they want you to talk to the car's, car's interface, but they need to know, are you the driver? Are you the passenger? Who are you? Are you authorized to give me any commands? We're in a moving vehicle. We just can't have anybody give me a command. Um, so we're seeing a lot of different applications for voice across different venues. Uh, we're seeing it in hospitality where you're checking into your hotel room and people want to have you talk to your room. Um, TV stations, ordering food, opening the blinds, all on a device, right? Um, no more, where's the remote control? Um, and let's be clear, COVID hasn't slowed down voice adoption. COVID has expedited. I mean, we've, we've you know, leapfrogged 10 years in the adoption of voice technologies because of COVID. Um, it's a single modality that I don't have to touch anything. I can just talk. Uh, but, you know, hearing you through a mask or hearing you outside and outside venues has acoustic challenges associated with it. So you know, we, we've seen a lot of different use cases for voice. We do see um, a convergence around just making the UI more symbiotic for, for consumers to use. And the more data you can get and the more robust it is to noise, the, the better uh, the solution works. Gotcha. How about um, in terms of kind of building the the AI software? I, I'm not really familiar with AI that much. I'd, I've, I have had worked on a company where we had to develop some software uh, that was pretty generic, but I'm, I'm assuming AI is a lot more involved. And uh, yeah. can you just kind of talk a little bit about the experience of, of uh, kind of building that, that software platform? Yeah, you know, I, I can't take any credit for that. That's why I brought in my co-founder, who's, a, you know, who's, who's spent 25 years of his, his academic experience to, to really build out. And it's not just AI, it's AI and signal processing. So our AI is uniquely suited to work with um, our signal processing methodology and, and, and our algorithms that, that produce, you know, different types of sounds for, for voice. Um, you know, th- that part of our work is interesting because you don't always know exactly how the solution is going to react to certain things, right? You know, we, we are always, it's almost like, um, well, I have to say it as a parent, it's like having a toddler who's learning at this real increased rate of, of speed where you every day you're surprised like okay well i can't believe she put those sentences together right we get that feeling a lot with our solution we're like you know we'll throw it into an environment that no that's way too noisy and too confusing for anything to understand it and then we get magic right and, and we're like okay that's interesting um now our ai is a little different than what you would consider i guess machine learning there are you know there's there's you know data driven um you know, uh, pattern recognition, which is not our brand of AI. Uh, that's a different side. We are in a, a slightly different box. This is what we call inferential and in, uh, AI, which kind of learns as it goes through the motions um, and extrapolates its own decision based on its understanding of the environment at the time that it's looking at that data. Um, so for that, it's not about that I give it the right data set and the right training modules. That's not kind of how we, we kind of learn more like a, a person learns. And so you get results sometimes that are like, okay, well, we didn't anticipate that. That's new. Um, and then sometimes we're like, okay, why, why, aren't, why isn't she doing this properly, right? Uh, and so to your point, I think, you know, in our, at least in our space, innovation is a core fabric of what we do. So much of what we do is not, you know, simply writing up something in JavaScript and pushing it out. There's a lot of R&D and exploitation that has to go 
with creating solutions. And it, it changes our business model, right? We're not as, um, as reactive as we, we would be if we were just a blocking and tackling software company because a large component of what we do is nuanced. And, and that's what the AI brings to us. But the benefit of that, once you, you know, get the solution right, is you know, something that is special. And, and we're fortunate to have a solution right now that you know, kind of stands alone from, from a novelty standpoint. That's great. I guess in your, uh, in your entrepreneurial journey with Yobi so far, what would you say is, has been your biggest challenge so far and what has been your biggest win to date? Huh. You know what? As I think about that, the answer is the same. Um, people, right? My biggest win has been the you know, chief scientist that I brought in as a co-founder, the engineers that we have right now helping us punch out some of these unique algorithms. Uh, and what's the biggest challenge? Finding more of those people, <laughs> right? Um, and so, yeah, I guess long and short, I think that, you know, our, our, biggest, our biggest value are, are our people, are our folks. Um, and adding to that team, not just skill set wise, but culturally as well, there's a certain fabric of culture that we have here as a company that we, we try to maintain as well. Um, but finding those people, who want to take the entrepreneurial journey is, is equally as challenging. Um, and, and so I, I guess I would say people would be for both of those answers. Makes sense. I guess, is there anything else that uh, we haven't covered so far that you kind of would like to share with listeners uh, about Yobi and, and uh, the different uh, offerings you have? No, I mean, you know, we, we are a B2B business, right? So, you know, you're going to be using our stuff and you won't even know you're using it. Um, it'd just be the reason why, XYZ device works well, or this platform works well on your cell phone. You're like, oh, wow, this is interesting. I can just talk to my cell phone walking through Central Park and I can, you know, it gets me. Well, that'd be us, um, you know, white labeled. Um, but for, you know, anyone traveling out to Las Vegas uh, in January for CES, you know, we're, we're a CES every year. We have, you know, we do a booth in Eureka Park, which is where the innovative technologies live, I guess. Um, um, look us up, swing by our booth. Um, we'll give you some of the demos and, you know, as you start to see some of it permeate into your day-to-day lives, you're like, oh, okay, that, that's, Yobi did that. Um, whereas most of our customers don't allow us to claim, at least not yet, we're still small. Um, they don't allow us to claim the benefit. Uh, but one day, uh, you know, like an Intel inside, there'll be a Yobi inside sticker. Um, but we're not at the point yet where we can fight those fights with the incumbents that we work with. So, uh, yeah, if people, someone's out in Vegas, come out to CES, come by and see us. We'd love to see you. How about companies that are listening, uh, executives that may want to look into your technology to incorporate in their business? What's the best way to to contact you or your company? Oh, sure. You, know, you can look us up on, on the web. We're at uh, yobiinc.com. Um, um, feel free to come to the website and, and you know we have a contact us page on there. But also the website gives you a little bit more foundation of what we're trying to accomplish. There's some high level demos on the site as well. And some of our press and some of the things that we've done. Uh, so yeah, www.yobiinc, one word.com. How about uh, for listeners that want to learn more about you or follow you uh, on the internet, uh, on social media, what's the best way to, 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 to find you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't do a lot of the Twitters or the other Instagrams. I, I'm, I guess I'm showing my age, um, but I'm definitely on LinkedIn. Um, do a lot of our work on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Ken, I think it's uh, Kenneth M. Sutton uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, so either type in Yobi or Ken Sutton on LinkedIn and that should pop up pretty easily. Excellent. Ken, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. 
We're exciting to to follow uh, your journey, Yobi, and, and see how the technology unfolds. Um, really, really innovative uh, technology. Uh, appreciate your time, and hopefully we can have you again on the podcast sometime. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. I'd love to come back. Yes, sir. This episode is brought to you by our affiliate, Gemini. Gemini is a well-respected cryptocurrency exchange started by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. If you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other altcoins, please check out their website at gemini.sjv.io backslash moontower to learn all about it. Thank you.